Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's David Manning from World Class Championship Wrestling. I want you to know you got to listen to Territory Marks. I've had a blast today with Zach and Paul. If you want to get the true scoops, these guys ask the right questions, so tune in. All right, Paul, I am so excited for today's interview. We sat down with David Manning, referee, booker of World Class Championship Wrestling. Man, what an amazing interview. Yeah, I was excited when you brought this to the table and said, well, here's going to be what we're going to do. We're going to interview Dave Manning. I thought, oh, my gosh. So super excited, especially as a Texan, getting to interview this legend, not just in Texas wrestling, but in all professional wrestling. I will quickly say this all started from Dustin and I going to Dallas to see the premiere of The Iron Claw, which comes out in theaters very soon if it hasn't come out already. And seeing Dave Manning at the theater and immediately going up to him and shaking his hand and introducing myself and saying, we would love to have you on the show. And then texting Paul and Paul going, let's do it. Our first interview. I mean, we had Sean Durkin on the show, but in timeline wise, we actually recorded our interview with David Manning prior. So David is our first interview we've ever done. And a big piece of this is reminding me that there are always multiple stories to tell from one particular situation. You know, obviously the Iron Claw movie focuses on the Von Erich family, but David Manning was a huge, huge part of the legacy of world-class championship wrestling, the Von Erichs, Texas wrestling. So having him on the show is a really, really big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a real honor, and I really look forward to getting to talk with him more. We could have kept going on and on, couldn't we? I mean, it was it was just very uh, very open and warm, and I think, how, you know, I, I imagine we were asking the right questions. He seemed to enjoy it. He did. He seemed to enjoy it, and he said he wants to come back, so there you go. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Really quickly, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, consider becoming one because the content you're hearing here on Territory Marks, there's going to be some more fun stuff on Patreon down the road soon. So go to patreon.com slash $2 late fee, sign up today, consider becoming a patron. But until then, Paul, tee it up. Y'all, please enjoy Dave Manning. He was head booker, head referee, world-class championship wrestling, Fritz von Eric's right-hand man. World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South. 
$2 Late Fee presents Territory Marks with Paul London and Zach Schaefer. The show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling. From one man who lives it and another man who loves it. It's an honor to have you, sir. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Appreciate it. We met in Dallas, not too far from the original Sportatorium, right? Yeah, it was real close. Matter of fact, where they did the after party was like, you could probably throw a rock and hit the old spot where the Sportatorium was. Wow. Okay. Wow. What what they replace it with, unfortunately? Nothing. It's just an empty lot. It's an empty lot, which is sad. Wow. wow. Mark Cuban, if you were out there listening... <laughs> You need to build the sportatorium up again. I agree. Well, you know, you know, the sportatorium was uh, Willie Nelson performed there more than anywhere else that he's been. Johnny Cash performed there. Uh, obviously, when you go back to the wrestling history, Lou Thez, you know, wow. stars like that wrestled there. Um, the old promoter that uh, was there when I was there, uh, Ed Watt, he actually had a contract. He showed me one time. He went and dug it out. And on it, it said Elvis Aaron Presley, thirty-five dollars. Wow! Presley signed it to get no. his thirty-five bucks. Wow. I said, Way. I looked today and say, what would that be worth on uh, <laughs> the open oh of eBay gosh. or somewhere? What was? I mean, I'm just curious what the Sportatorium was originally built for, because in hindsight, it kind of looks like an old rodeo arena. Big D Jamboree. That's why the that's why these singers were there. Originally, okay. it was the Big D Jamboree, and uh, and then Willie would come. When Willie would come, he would just perform in the ring. Wow, really? I mean, they would take they they would take <laughs> the ropes down. Funny story: Willie comes in one time, and um, we were just finishing up, and he came in the night before. So that was the night we wrestled. He was performing the next night. So uh, uh, his agent comes in, and he says uh, he talked to the promoter Ed. Ed sent him to me. And he said, Ed Watt sent me over here to talk to you. Our security somehow got canceled. Do you think you could round up four or five wrestlers to set around the ring to make sure no one enters the ring? I said, sure. So I went and I, I, I sat on the ring steps as you go in right here. And then here's Willie performing. And uh, Steve Casey and Scott Casey and uh, uh, Bill Irwin, we all sat around the ring and uh, basically protected Willie Nelson one night. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a lumberjack match. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like the special enforcers, you know, you know, Willie's crowd. I don't think we were really worried about him rushing the stage. Oh, my gosh. Now, would he come backstage into the locker room and and interact or smoke some of the boys out? He did. the He did. When he first got there, he came back and talked to us. Um, He I don't know how many times he performed, but like I say, there more than anywhere. Wow. That's wild. I had no I would have never guessed that. Not at all. Yeah. My first question is when are you releasing a book about your time in the business? Well, you know, um I've I've got one about halfway done, oh, you know. Cool. And it it was it was crazy that uh you asked that because I get asked so much. All the way back when I started doing the dark side of the ring. Right. Uh, you know, because most of the public thought I was a referee. Yeah. Which I was. Yeah. But they don't realize, uh, you know, uh, the, that I was the booker. I was um, I was like family with the Von Erichs, right. you know. I mean, Fritz and I talked 
once a week, every week, uh, whether he was in the office or not. If he was in the office, we talked more than that. But if he wasn't in the office, even when I wasn't the booker and Ken was the booker, I still had to call Fritz every uh, – back then you carried a beeper. I had a beeper with one guy had the number. And <laughs> I, better, I better find a phone and put my quarter in and call him. So uh, uh, but that was it. It was basically every Thursday or Friday, no matter where I was at, we would go over how the booking meeting go, how this, what do you think, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, you know, I, I, th- th- you know, I know we'll probably mention the movie a little bit here later. Yeah. I think that was the part of the movie I just did was th- they portrayed Fritz uh, really just the opposite and what he really mm-hmm. is. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into that for sure. And I think one of the glaring, one of the glaring omissions to me, uh, among other things, was the fact that you were not featured in the film. And I, I, I get it. It's all about timing. It's all about pacing, et cetera, et cetera. And it's about one specific about the Von Erich family themselves. But sure. But if you turn on, I mean, I grew up watching wrestling on ESPN, getting uh, bad cable feeds where I could see a little bit of world class. And, <laughs> and I always see you popping up and Paul and I have said on this show, there's been so many matches we've featured where you are integral to the match itself. You know, where you get Absolutely. on the mic midway through and you're like, I don't want to hear this. You know, we're going to cut this out right now, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm loving it because, you know, I I, I grew up watching Tommy Young, who's a who I, we're big fans of as well. Uh, you know, of course, Earl Hebner in the big industry and in the big company there, he was doing his thing. But you, Tommy Young, but you specifically stood out to me as, as such a, a, an important piece of telling the story in the ring. Well, when I got started... Um... It was crazy uh, when Fritz decided that, you know, back when I first got into the business back in the, oh, 77, 78, um, the, re- the referees were retired wrestlers. Yeah. And um, so all of a sudden it was Fritz one day just came to me because I had a beard and he was letting me pick up some extra money. You know, I was coaching his kids, but he was letting me pick up some extra funds, you know carrying the robes back and forth from the ring and stuff like that. And then the next thing, you know, I'm uh, helping sell tickets at the sportatorium. And then the next thing, you know, he wants me to come to a booking meeting. And then um, it, it was crazy from there. But uh, also one night he was like, you know what, shave that beard. I want you to referee a match. We're going to promote you as the youngest referee in history. Okay. Was that accurate? Was it true at the time? Uh, by the time we fudged my, uh, my age. <laughs> <laughs> it still holds true today. I dare someone to break it. Go ahead. But, uh, you know, and, and the wrestlers loved it. They really did because um, you you can add, I was able to add so much more to the match by diving and making the count, right. uh, taking the bumps over the top rope, uh, you know, and and um, I remember Lord Alfred Hayes uh, came to me one time and he said, you got to be more involved. He said, uh, and you got to be more theatrical he said you know like when you're counting it's one two you know and give that expression and uh you just got to live the match you're in it and um and so uh and and the dives he was like don't just run around and count dive over them and you know uh just a lot of different things and uh him tony charles uh it was crazy how all the boys pitched in and were like no you got to you know, and physically get in there, you know, and 
um, you know, make things happen. And then with Fritz, uh, you know, I see some of the blogs out there that David was too involved. You know, he was too much about him. Uh, I'll let everybody know. I didn't do anything Fritz didn't tell me to do. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. Right. You know, it was just all right. part of the story. And let me just say before I forget, and I can't forget this, but this is one of the greatest bumps I've ever seen in my life. Not just, for, I mean, referee bump. Yeah, absolutely. The best referee bump I've ever seen in my life. But this is a better bump than most workers take today, okay? And it is a it is a match with Kevin and King Kong Bundy. And you probably know what I'm talking about. We're off of a reversal. Kevin hits you, and you take the complete backflip bump over the top rope. Yeah. And then Kevin turns around. I think Bundy hits him, and he goes sailing over the top rope right on top of you. I don't know if he lands on you or not, but the fact that you went completely backwards without turning, which is the natural instinct, Right. Um, yeah. You went completely. I mean, this is the most beautiful bump I've ever seen in my life. And you're sitting there thinking, that's the referee. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. It was. Insane. Yeah. You know, and it, and it was crazy because where the ropes hit me, I wasn't really tall enough to make just to go over like some of the boys were. So I almost had to leap, leap backwards to get up high enough for it to catch me. To torque me over. And it I had crane my ankle on that bump. Wow! Uh, because I went to the floor. I thought I was going to be able to catch the apron. I barely caught it and, uh, and then went to the floor. And then here comes Kevin right over, you know, uh, who was also not one to really program his bumps. I mean, you know, sure. and, um, but probably the hardest bump I ever took was um, we were in a meeting one time and I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but there's a bump. I remember the first time I saw red Bastine take it. <laughs> it's where you go into the ropes and your head goes in, and then you take the bump over, and it's it it scissors your neck, the rope. Oh, in the ropes and, uh, in the middle. Yeah, your your neck's in there, but when you go over, and two things have to happen. One, the wrestlers cannot hit the ropes because those ropes, you know, when you hit them, they 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 tighten, right? And it can snap your neck. So we we're all sitting in a booking meeting one time, and Fritz says, "You think you can take that bump?" Now, I'd never taken the bump, obviously, and I was like, well, "I I think so," and uh, it was funny because I did it in Fort Worth. You know, in Channel 39 was uh, that was the the WCCW that was filmed in Dallas. So they weren't part of the Fort Worth show. And so it came time to take the bump. And it was Kevin and Kerry against Gino and uh, Chris Adams. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't smarten up Mark Lawrence, anybody, because we knew how shocking the bump is. I mean, you, you think the guy's going to die. Right. And yeah. So when it comes time to take the bump and the. I got hit, and when I went in, we had loosened the ropes a little bit. Yeah, because you got to have some give, and right. so. But the key is, you I have to grab both ropes as I go in, get my head in there, and then flip over the top rope so that the it scissors you. And Mark Lawrence just totally panicked. Matter of fact, he kind of hurt it because he was trying to get me out. Too oh fast. no! And because uh, he was yelling, "He's going to die! He's going to die!" Oh god! Awesome. And, awesome. And he jumps up. This bump's actually out there on the. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, when you go search stuff, but so anyway, I take the bump and I had told Gino and, 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 uh, Chris grab both Von Eriks and do not let anybody hit those damn ropes. And, uh, so I take the bump and Bronco comes running out of the back and it was a wonder fans weren't jumping up because wow. what was really funny about the bump. So after the bump's over, while I'm down, Chris and him throw the powder in the Von Eriks face and then Rick Hazard dives in, counts them out, you know, and, um, but the next day we had we had to go to uh, interviews over at Channel Thirty Nine, 
So those guys had the footage. We had sent the footage over, obviously, the tape. And so they're editing in to the world-class tape. So when I walk in, all of the guys that do the editing and, you know, I guess they had watched that thing 50 times to try to see if I did it on purpose or was it just an accident? <laughs> so when I walk in here, all of the crew gets down on their knees and they're going, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're bowing. <laughs> oh my God. Now, was that wow. probably the first time that bump was ever televised? Like that particular bump or where did you, where did y'all first see that? Well, I saw it. The first time I saw it was in a match Red Bastine was in. That's and, right. Okay. You were just and Red Bastine took the bump. And I remember I was working as a second and I'm not supposed to get on the ring, you know, right. and I wasn't totally smart back then because they just didn't smarten up the seconds. And I remember I jumped up on the ring because I thought he's going to break his neck. And, wow. um, and, and visually that just adds to yeah. it because it's like, oh, yeah. this is real. Oh my God. So and the reason I bring that up is because uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the bump that uh, reportedly severed and cut off Mick Foley's ear. Right. So a lot of people consider that the McFoley bump, which in turn, it really goes back to the Bastine bump, if you think about it, unless exactly. there's somebody that can find it before him. But the fact that you were taking it as well, uh, years, 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 years prior to Mick doing it. I mean, that's that's really something I, I definitely need to see this. I yeah, definitely want to see this. Bump. Absolutely. If you pull up the match, um, it, it's it's Kevin and Kerry against Gino and them. And the, it was in, um, it was a big show, but uh, it was a scary bump. I know I was scared to take it. The other, the other big bump probably was uh, we did a thing in, um, in reunion where we did a, a double ring. We had two rings. So we pushed them up against each other. So in the booking meeting, uh, there was a, there was a, what, what it was, it was a battle Royal going to take place where, you got thrown out of one ring into, and then you had to enter the other ring. And it, so, you know, it was like a double thing by the time there was only one standing, right. but the match before the battle Royal was Fritz von Eric. And um, uh, I can't remember if it was Kabuki or who it was, but Fritz gets this idea. Now we got to remember that we haven't seen the ring set up like this. So Fritz says, you know what, do you think you could take the bump if I throw you from one ring all the way over both ropes and land in the other oh, ring. No. Awesome. I, I was like, oh, I can do yeah. that. Well, <laughs> when we get there and the rings are butted up, you forget about all that space that's on the outside where they stand, right. you know, like the, the, yeah, the apron. So by the time you butted them up, I was like, holy crap. So I oh, went back to Fritz. I said, you're going to have to really <laughs> give me an extra heave. Well, that was probably a mistake. Oh, no. Because oh. Fritz, Fritz reached and grabbed me by the neck. I, I think I landed in the middle of the other ring. Wow. <laughs> I was about to say you bypassed it and got eliminated. <laughs> but we we did all kind of things. And like you say, you know, it's what really I think a lot of people didn't want to come to Texas and wrestle because, I mean, I tell people, go back and look at the birds and the Von Erichs with the strap matches right. and the, they beat the hell out of each other. They really did. Yeah. They really did. You know, it, it was one of those things was leave my eyes alone. Uh, don't hit me in the nuts. And, uh, you know, the throat, leave my teeth here and the rest is open. I think for me, that was one of the things back in the day that really, um, compelled me to watch because I'm playing with my action figures as a kid and I'm making it real and pretty hardcore for GI Joe battles. And then I'm watching world class and I'm going, what is this? I'm like 
I kid you not, going to bed thinking about those matches. To this day, I still do. Paul yeah. knows this. I've talked to him about it. Right. Uh, oh, he still plays. I with still. Him. I got a nine-year-old son, so that's my excuse, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I got to ask you. So, how did you get in the business to begin with? Like, where did this start? Go back to the inception. Well, you know, uh, and I'm going to lead in this by telling every. I think every. Uh, I think everything happens through fate. Faith and I. I um, uh, I, you know, I do a lot of motivational speaking now. Uh, that's one of the talents God gave me was speaking. That's great. And uh, through wrestling, I made a lot of contacts and that's how it led into right. that. But um, if you, I always say, if you give out good things, you'll get good things back. Absolutely. And uh, so in Texas, there wasn't a lot. When I wrestled in, in coming up, I started wrestling uh, amateur wise, probably at about six years old, seven years old, wrestled all the way through the YMCA and then blah, blah, blah. I hold some records that can never be beat in Texas amateur wrestling wise uh, wow. because the UIL had not, had not turned it into a, um, you know, a sponsored sport, a certified sport or approved sport. Uh, I challenged as an eighth grader, the high school to go represent the high school in the high school state tournament, uh, won that right. And then one state as an eighth grader, which can never happen again. Wow. What, and, uh, what was the weight class there? Like 90 99 pounds. pounds. Ninety nine pounds. I didn't have to lose weight. I had to. I was. I was probably only weighing about eighty eight. Oh, I love that with wet clothes on. um, Oh my gosh! And so when I graduated uh, at Mac, so I was a five time state finalist. When I graduated at Mike at Mac, um, I had some scholarship offers, and back then you really couldn't be married and, and, you know, with what you had to go through. So I was in a position where I got, had to get married and, uh, got married. And, um, so I was back here, I was, I was wrestling over at Richland college, but I was also helping out at the Y okay. for free and doing the same thing. My coach did for me, basically teaching the kids. And so MacArthur called me because they didn't have a coach, you know, and here it is now they got a sport. And so I went up and started coaching and literally, Without my degree, they were paying me as if I was a teacher. And wow. uh, and so cool. um, I was coaching there, but my YMCA team goes up to Denton and there was a tournament taking place up there at, um, matter of fact, at the University of North Texas. Yeah. So I went there and um, I'm not saying because of me, I was real fortunate to have some good kids with good talent. And uh, and then with the when you teach them the skills they're going to produce. And so we just kicked everybody's butt. And nice. one of my kids wrestling another kid and I'm watching this other kid. He's trying to do a switch and he's throwing it over the back and he's doing different things. So when the match was over, I said, let me show you something. And I got down and I really got down on my, my knees and I was showing him how to do a switch and a couple other things and showing him how to keep his face, uh, uh, get it on the inside. So you don't get cross face when you're trying to take someone down. Mm. Well, long story short, um, about a week goes by. Oh, no. That afternoon, I went to the – it was crazy. I went to the concession stand, and I just ordered a sandwich and a drink. And they bring it to me. They hand it to me. And I went to pay, and she goes, it's free. I go, it's free? I said, oh, wow, the coaches eat free, huh? She goes, no, you do. Uh, Compliments to Fritz Von Erich. Wow. And I was a big fan. I'm like, Fritz Von Erich's here? She said, well, he was. And he said, if you wanted anything, to buy it. To, to give it to you. Wow. And he was one of the sponsors of this tournament. Wow. 
And so uh, about a week goes by, I get a call from a guy named Jack Nelson. And he says, hey, uh, Jack Atkinson is trying to reach you. And I said, who's Jack Atkinson? He said, Fritz von Erich. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. I said, well, give me my number. So next thing you know, I get this big, deep voice. I answer the phone and it says, uh, hey, I want you to come out to my house in Lake Dallas. I live on Fritz Lane. And he says, um, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So I go out to Lake Dallas and I'll never, he's a very intimidating man. And uh, <laughs> so I go in and we go into his office. He's sitting back in his chair. Fritz was one that sometimes would have two cigarettes going for real. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like my grandma too. <laughs> and so he's sitting there and he's puffing and he says, uh, you know, I've been doing some due diligence on you. You're a hell of a wrestler. I said, well, thank you. And he said, um, you remember that kid you helped here in uh, Lake at the tournament up at the college? And I went, no. He said, well, you did. You got on down on your hands and knees and you helped the kid. You know who it was? And I said, no. And he goes, Carrie. It was Carrie? It was Carrie. And Carrie comes out oh, and he my. said, that's who you helped. I want you to be his private coach. Whoa. And he says, I got a gym out back. I'll put mats down. You tell me what you need. You got it. I want you to help him. I want you to help Dave a little bit. Kev's already at the University of North Texas. He he was a freshman. Mm -hmm. And he said, and then when Mike and them grow, come up. So I started doing that. And then uh, he comes and he says, uh, you want to pick up some extra money, taking the robes back and forth, be a second. I said, sure. So I would go because, I, like I say, I was a fan. And I did that. And then all of a sudden he comes up with a refereeing idea. Then he... He comes in one, uh, I'd been doing it for about a year, refereeing. He comes in to Sportatorium one day, and I'm working, and it's on it. They did the booking meetings on Tuesday mornings. And he comes through, and he said, kid, come upstairs. And so I go upstairs, and I'll never forget, it was um, it was Bronco, uh, Gary Hart, Danny Pletches, Bulldog Danny Pletches, and then I sat in a chair off to the side. And I, I was just being quiet and listening. And uh, Fritz had this angle he was talking about, and he went through the whole thing. And he looked at, uh, he looked at uh, Bronk and said, "What do you think, Bronk?" Bronk said, "I like it." He asked Pletch, "What do you think, Pletch?" And he said, "I like it." He asked Gary, "What do you think?" I like it. And out of the blue, he looked at me and goes, "What do you think, kid?" Oh no. I said, "I don't like it." <laughs> wow. And he says, "Well, first of all, you're." fucking fired <laughs> now tell me why you don't like it and so i said well you know and i don't even remember what it was he thought and puffed a cigarette and he said you know what kid's right and he wow changed it up a little bit and then when we went to leave he said you stay here and they all left and he said i could have said i was going to go out there and take a big dump in the ring they just said they liked it right right wow he said i want your honest opinion I want you in every booking meeting going forward. And, um, you know, the rest is history. How old would you say you were at this time? I would have been, uh, this was probably around uh, 79 leading into 80. So uh, 63, 73, I was probably about 26, 27. Yeah, good head on your shoulders. Know what you're doing. I had an act for finishes. I did all the finishes for years and years. Ken Mantel, when Ken became the booker, Ken could add to a finish, but he, he wasn't good at coming up with a finish. And so even when he was uh, the booker and I was more or less the assistant booker, 
uh, he'd say, Dave, give me a finish. And I would come up with a finish and then we would all kick in on it. But, uh, you know, that, the the biggest so, one we ever did was mine, which we slammed the cage door on Carrie's head and, uh, yeah. and reunion, uh, you know, that was, uh, uh man, that lit the spark right there. My question to you is, did you wear an iron cup on your crotch? Because taking that bold of a move in that meeting is mind blowing. Yeah. The fact that you had that instinct to do that, Paul, right? And you were being honest. Yeah. You were being honest yeah. by disagreeing. You weren't doing it just to be different. You were literally just being honest. And the fact that he saw that. You know, um, I can't remember what it was, but it was it, to me, I, I thought the fans, I do, I do remember the reason I didn't like it was I felt the fans were going to think, oh, that's, that's fixed. Yeah. And, uh, that was pretty much what I tried to get across. We end up doing basically the same, whatever Fritz had laid out. He just changed the way we went into it. And uh, I mean, that's why I say people don't understand uh, how much Fritz believed. Um, I found out exactly one night. Um, most people don't know this, but we had the big match and reunion. Fritz wasn't there. And um, there was something going to take place in the Booker. I'm not going to use names because that's fine. Uh, but the Booker, they laid something out with some of the boys that had come up with something, and it was it was not good. And I said, "We're not doing that." And the Booker said, "What do you mean we're not doing it?" I said, "It's not good. We're not doing that." And he said, "Well, it's not your decision. I'm the Booker." And I said, "We're not doing that." And he said, "Well, let's." I said, "Let's call Fritz." So I'll never forget in reunion. We go to the we go to the payphone. There was a payphone in the hallway. We caught the booker, called him, goes through it and tells him what's going on. And he says, I, obviously, Fritz said, put David on the phone. So he, I, I, I pick up the phone and Fritz says, all right, I'm not there. Are you, are you dead serious? You don't, I said, it's not good. I said, we can't do it, Fritz. He said, all right, put him back on the phone. So he puts him, I hand him back the phone and then he went wham and he slammed it down so hard. It broke the receiver off the phone, broke the phone and uh, stormed off. So the next morning uh, when I got to uh, the office, Fritz was already there drinking coffee. He said, you ready? And I said, am I ready? He said, well, you know, he's going to resign today. And he said, that means you're the booker full time. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. Wow. So, wow. Do you have any, uh, is there any knowledge of how Fritz obtained uh, world-class? Cause he went from being this massive heel and, you know, then to all of a sudden being in charge of the whole thing. Well, originally before world-class, you know, it was uh big time wrestling Southwest. Big time. That's right. Oh. And um, so he, um, uh, the, the promoter back then and, and the guy that was Ed McLemore and a lot, the story is now I'm not going to get into conspiracy or all that. You know, Fritz went to SMU, held the record there for years and years and years, throwing the discus uh, in the nation, had the longest throw in the nation for years. And so um, when Fritz decided he wanted to be a promoter for what, you know, next thing you know, uh, Sportatorium burnt down had to be rebuilt and uh 
short period of time later, Fritz was the owner and, um, you know, st uh, started the matches. And back then, the matches, like when I first got in the business, like in Fort Worth, we had two cameras. One was stationary. It didn't even have, no one even stood behind it. It was just focused on the ring. And then there was another one that below it, one was up high, one was low. And that one had a man behind it that, you know, would move it around, catch us coming to the ring. But, um, you know, when we made the decision with Channel 39, it changed everything because, you know, they they were like, well, what if we did this? And you, would you care if we put microphones around the ring, uh, big boom mics? And would you care if we, the slow motion? And then we did the vignettes with the wrestlers. You know, you might show them at the bar or show them in a spa or, you know, like the sunshine thing. When we showed David's ranch where Jimmy Garvin and Sunshine were having to clean up all the horses. Right. It's one of my favorite angles. I love that angle. What was going on in New York at this time in terms of production? They weren't, I mean, because I don't think, I think people always credit New York with being the first of this, the first of that, the first, you know what I mean? That's, oh, Vince and, it, and it's absurd. Vince does. Vince says they were the first. Well, yeah. Not the people, yeah. Vince. Vince tells people he was the first. And we they, were they believe it. Yeah, I'll get heat here, but we were pulling. Uh, Let's, show 14, me a guy without heat. I'll show you a guy not in the business, right? We, we were pulling a 14, 15 rating in their backyard when they were pulling a 10 and 11. And <laughs> uh, and and so um, a lot of people don't know. There there was a meeting took place here right after the uh, parade of champions with the David Von Erk Memorial, Texas Stadium, 40-something thousand people. And um, it was to see if we could merge uh, with the New York, we would be 60%, they would be 40. And we would take it everywhere, you know. But um, that was Vince Sr., Vince Jr., and the people that were Fritz and some people here. But the thing was that Fritz had this uh, loyalty to all of the promoters around the country. I mean, you know, you had Vern Gagne up in Chicago, you had Bill Watts in, in the Mid-South, you had Harley and and uh, uh, up in um, Kansas City um, uh, with Bob, I can't think of Bob's last name, and uh, but all over the country, you know, Mike LaBelle in California and um, everybody had a territory. So what were you gonna do with those guys? Just throw them out on the streets? And, um, and at that point, even with, with David, you know, dying, it was like, why do we need you? And, um, and, and, and Kevin and I both tried to get Fritz to pay for view, uh, Texas stadium. Cause we were getting calls from all over the world. People want to come. And, uh, if who knows, um, if we would have done it, you know, Kevin, Kevin and I are pretty honest with each other. We know David was the business mind. David and I started promoting towns, you know, we went to Fritz, could we do a town? So David and I were actually partners in, in Lawton, Oklahoma and Tyler and stuff like that. And we started promoting and David was the, you know, unfortunately, Kevin, I say it, if it would have been any other brother, the business might have survived and kept going because Dave was more the business side. And you're talking about so many firsts that you guys started. And I think with this movie, The Iron Claw, coming out, it's going to open up a whole new audience that is not familiar with that nostalgic era, the era that we love, the era that you worked in, grew up in. Um, 
And I think it's going to ask a lot more questions, you know, because at one point in the Iron Claw, I love their, uh, they're sitting around having, having lunch or dinner and Carrie's talking to Mike about the camera angles and the music or something like that. Not about camera. It's about wrestling. Right. You guys were one of the first to bring music into, uh, into the business. Music right? of the ring. Yeah. Music of the ring. Um, you know, and and it was crazy back then. We didn't know you you had to pay ASCAP and all of this just to play certain right. songs, you know. Right. And um, but I tell you how big it got. Reunion Arena was right across the street, you know, from the Sportatorium. So all the security was the same. So it didn't matter who was in town. If we wanted to go see a concert, we just went backstage and we would go backstage. Whenever um Tom Sawyer was here, Carrie and I went backstage and we went back and this and that. And, Word got to the band that Kerry was backstage, and then word came back they're gonna, they're about to play Tom Sawyer. Will you come out of the curtains? No wow. way! So Rush Rush yeah. is Rush is in town. Rush is in town, and so oh my God. you know, and, and they got to sell out of eighteen, nineteen thousand people, and all of a sudden, you know, it starts. I got goosebumps, man. That's fans so cool. are into it. All this Kerry walked through those curtains, and they went freaking berserk. Of course, was, they wow. did. Oh my God! Please tell me he tore his shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! Yeah, so cool. So, yeah. Oh, so we gosh. did that, and then um, uh, the slow motion, uh, especially the mics in the ring. The mics in the ring, the boom mics. You had to be very careful, you know, because whoever's calling the match, you gotta, you, you had to do it in a totally different way because they could pick I mean they picked up where were they place. placed just in the turnbuckle in the corners the guy would go placed? around with them and he would stick it through the ring they were like this big you know they're long and he would okay. stick them in you know like and it's try like to boom pick mic. Them up. Yeah. yeah okay so wow. and they would climb up the the camera guys would climb up on the ring you know and shoot in now who would fritz fine or fire when he if he caught if he caught an, if he caught audible on on that mic, if that ever happened, uh, probably he he probably would have come down on me because <laughs> oh no, oh, near no. the referee because as the referees, you know, if things got too loud or whatever, we would tell him, hey, you know, the mic's gonna pick it up. Okay, hey, man. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, wow. The, like you said, you know, you mentioned the book. It's crazy because after the vice, all of a sudden I get the vice guys are like, Hey, we're going to have a ghostwriter call you. And then we did the tales of the territory. Oh my God, we got to have a, a, a ghostwriter call you. I was just on this trip and one of the executives with uh, the company, my consortia, big wrestling fan. And he, he grew up in Tennessee, you know, the Jarrett's and all okay, of that yeah. and bar. So he was kind of a smart Mark. And, uh, we had dinner. They sat at our table one night, and oh my god, he was just one after the other, kind of like this—a podcast. Right. And so I'm yeah. telling stories and doing this. And he goes, "You know, I'm a writer." And I said, "Oh yeah." And he goes, "Oh yeah, I was a journalist, a writer. I'm writing your book." I said, "Oh, oh you are." And he goes, "Yeah." And so as as the trip went on, all of a sudden, the last night he came and he said, uh, "I sent you an email. I put ten questions on there. I want you to answer them by by recording. I don't want you to write." Okay. I want you to record the answers. It's about your background, blah, blah, blah. He said, just do it. I'm going to write about 10 or 15 pages. I'm going to send it to you. I know you're going to tell me I'm going to write your book, but I want you to read it and give you the option to say, no, you're not the guy. So 
Uh, I haven't recorded them yet. I was looking at the questions yesterday, so I'm going to do it. Oh, wow. Um, I need to do it because there's so much. I mean, it's just crazy. I've been so please, blessed. Please, we're begging you to. We're begging you. that We would love that. We would love that so much. You have created a legacy with your work, with people you've worked with. It's a story that needs to be told to have multiple voices in the game. You know, it's one thing to have a movie come out, which rightfully so, and some opinions that it portrays this sport in a in a very good light overall, I think. And it's maybe the best depiction on screen outside of, uh, you know, maybe moments in The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke. But I think as far as professional wrestling is concerned, it does that job. But it's important to have people who have been on the front lines, people who are on the ground doing the work. And when I met you for the first time, David, in Dallas, I was like, I want you on the show because that is who we need to talk to about this time we love so much. We are Marks. That's why we call ourselves Territory Marks. We are Marks for the territory, you know? Um, I want to ask you quickly about Iron Claw uh, and your opinion on it. what's What's your take on the Iron Claw? You know, um, I mean, I, I got I got that question straight from uh, the producer. Uh, we went to the after party, and my son was with me. Uh, my son Sean was with me when we saw it, and um, he liked it. Okay, um, I liked it, but it was hard for me to sit through because I know the truth. Right, right. I know every detail. I, I wish they would have talked to us because. I'll give you an example. Durkin, when uh, a guy named J.R. Schumer was taking me over to meet, he, he said, hey, I want you to meet Durkin. I said, okay. So we go over, and that that was, you know, the producer and everything. And so uh, he didn't have to introduce me. As soon as the guy saw me, he was like, oh, my God. And he, I, I was such a fan growing up, and this and that, and this and that. And he said, uh, so what would you think? And I said, I thought the acting was great. And uh, <laughs> he said, no, what would you think? Yeah. And he said, and I apologize for Chris. We we just didn't yeah. have the time to build another character and we didn't want to just go hit boom. Here he is. Right. And um, I said, well, you know, I said it was hard for me because I know the truth. I know. And he said, well, we just wanted to make sure we covered all of the tragedies. And I said, you didn't cover all the tragedies. No. Right. Right. He was like, Oh yeah, we did. I said, no, you didn't. I said, did you cover Kev actually backing over Jill when she was a toddler? his daughter. Wow. And they took her to the hospital and she was out that night with a tire print across her chest, but it didn't kill her. Wow. It didn't even wow. damage her. I said, did you David's crib death with his baby three months old? Wow. He's like, Oh no, no. I said, you should have talked to us. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but like I say, my son liked it. I think the fans are going to like it. Uh, I know Brian, I, I was talking to Brian, Gower, which is Brian Adias, if you guys remember him, uh, he hunts down on my land. I got 1,500 acres down on the Big Cypress River. Nice. Wow. He and I were just together last weekend, and uh, we were talking about, you know, um, we, we were all like family. Yeah. And so it, it's really hard when I, you know, especially I got the call about David. Mm. Right. You know, right. Uh, woke right. me up at 2 in the morning, and I, I'm the one that had to go tell Fritz. So, right. um I, th- I, th- I think I think people will like it. I know when I met Zach, uh, Efron, and some of the others there, they were so appreciative of what we had done. I think 
taking the bumps in the ring, they had a whole new outlook right. for what we did. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, absolutely. It, it's a, it's a brutal business. Was there, was there any one performance that you thought, wow, or, or a handful of them? I mean, obviously I thought the leads were all great. I thought Holt McCollany was amazing as Fritz. When I was seeing the casting happening, uh, mind you, I read for three different parts. I'll save myself the embarrassment uh, for which parts I read for, but uh, the verdict's out on one of those. I still think I read better than what I saw in the film, but that's neither here nor there. He was robbed. Um, uh, <laughs> either way. Um, the French character was probably the best. Thank you. Uh, yes. Part. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I'll tell you how good the Fritz character was. Uh, you know, they had Marshall and and Ross Von Eric come up and take some bumps and stuff, you know, in the in the scenes. I saw and, him in the credits and yeah. just like ex side wrestlers. I thought, why are they? So they went up, anymore? but also um uh Kristen. Oh no, no, it was Holly, Carrie's daughter. Okay. Went, you know, they had built the replica of the sportatorium and all of that. And she said when she saw the guy playing Fritz, she teared up. Mm. Wow. When she heard him talking and, you know, yeah, uh, she literally teared up. So by far that he carried the best. Zach did a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, you're not going to find a replica for Kevin Von Erich or Carrie Von Erich or, you know, sure. right. But I, I think, I think what they did was was good. I thought Mike was a little bit big for. Thank you. We said. were both saying that. We said I. I said I never knew Mike was six seven. Yeah. Because if David was yeah, six Mike, eight, Mike wasn't bigger Mike's than right Carrie. There. What is? Yeah, and Carrie was the smallest of all of them. And I right. thought that's very bizarre. Can we take? <laughs> can we take Zach's body and put it on Jeremy Allen White, please? Because that makes more sense as Carrie. Uh, you know, they should have had Zach go on a heavy swimming. Uh, regimen is what they should have had, in my opinion, for for Kevin, because Kevin's always had a, a more of a swimmer's body. Always, yeah. You know, very you lean, know, they, sinewy. Now, naturally, I know the one thing that bugged Kev about the movie was the curse. There was never any, there was never any talk of a curse or thought or, or any right. yeah, okay. thought of that. And then the other thing I think was probably um, Kev didn't meet Pam at the matches. Pam went to school with. With uh, Brian Adias, she was actually a grade behind them. Okay, uh, with with Brian and Carrie, and so Kevin met her through the schools and the home, and oh wow, and chased her for three months before she would even go out on a date with him. So oh, wow, they made it seem like the other way around. Yeah. Wow, oh that's so, funny. I'm sure she wasn't happy with her part. <laughs> We so appreciate this perspective because, you know, it's a, a perspective that needs to be heard for sure. Yeah. You you were uh, in a documentary years ago called The Heroes of World Class. Heroes of World Class, and yes. I, I sang that documentary's praises up and down and shared it with as many people as I could because I thought if you want to get a fuller picture of what this business was all about for people that have never really tapped in. And we do have an audience of listeners who are not familiar with the business like we are. So there'll be, there'll be certain terminology and they're like, you know, what's that mean? And Paul will graciously explain. But your your connection with Heroes of World Class, was that the first time that you got like sat down to kind of talk about the company? That was one of them. Um, you, you never know over the years I've had uh, probably the, 
after after I left world class and I was still doing some overseas promotions on my own, Brody was actually doing some stuff with me. And when he got killed, you know, in Puerto Rico, but, um, um, uh, yeah, the first one that reached out to me was, um, I, I won't say the, the name of the magazine, but, uh, it, it was, uh, it, it was, it had beautiful women in it and it was an Ebner's magazine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's all, that's all I'll say, but they <laughs> called and wanted me to do an article and, um, but they didn't want anything good. Mm. And I was like, I'm not your guy. Yeah. Uh, they wanted the drugs and the, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, um, wrestling was very good to me, led me to Christianity. It led me, um, you know, I, people will ask, tell me, say, oh, my God, can you believe what all the Kennedys went through? And I said, that's nothing. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, right. You know, and I'll tell you really quick, too. You know, we there is plenty of that out there in the world. There's plenty of gotcha type shows or, or you know, where people want hits and, and attention. We're here to celebrate and cherish and find those moments. You know, we all have had tragedy in our lives to some degree. And you move forward, you move on, and 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 hopefully, hopefully you do, um, you know. And the beautiful thing is having you on our show is to give that perspective, and and to mm. say, look, you know, yeah, there was some really horrible stuff that went down, but at the at the same time too, there was some really beautiful moments. And you know, it's not about let's not talk about that stuff. It's more about right. let's talk about both because both should be cherished, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've done so many of these. And like I say, you never know what's going to be big and not like I had had several say we're doing a movie. Or we're doing this now. Uh, the 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 documentary, when they came to my office, it's always the same. They come and think we're going to talk for 20 minutes. Right. They were there five hours. <laughs> right. Wow. But when when Vice came here, they they said we're going to come to your house. They came to my house. They set up that morning, and uh, we 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 just have a few questions, and we'll be out of your hair, and you know within a couple hours. They were here all day. Wow! Because once they get into it, they don't realize what all I know. Right. And then it was just like, oh my god! And then all of a sudden, like, like they would bring up a wrestler, and I would say, and then after they'd be like, we're doing we're doing one on him. We got to come back, you know. Right. And, and so I was in the you booked book. yourself. You booked yourself the, for the phone show. Yeah, I was in the Chris Adams <laughs> one. I was in the uh, Gino Hernandez, and uh, then obviously the Von Erics. And then later on, they came back in the in the third season and wanted me in the Ultimate Warrior. Um, mm -hmm. But that was the first one. Was the documentary that was really I thought kind of on track. But Vice, man, I was impressed when I I even watched those. You know, and then right after it was crazy, right before the Von Erich movie thing started, I got approached by a guy that writes for D Magazine. This is D Magazine that's coming out. They sent me the early copies. I got them day before yesterday. The top story says the fake Von Erich. Wow. So it's about Lance. Lance. The whole article. Wow, wow really? And it's about about eight pages in wow. here. Wow. Okay. Wow. They interviewed me. They interviewed me and they interviewed uh I I, I told them to call Brian. He didn't Brian had, Brian Gower doesn't do a lot, but when I told him to call him, he knew it wasn't going to be a hit job. Kevin even put some things in it. So that comes out this month. Oh, that's cool. And uh, wow. it, it, it's a good, you know, it's about Lance and it covers a lot. 
Now, question. I'm sorry. Talking about Lance, did did did, did he come from the the notorious uh, male review club that a few of these wrestlers were plucked from? Was it was it kind of like, oh, I'll go down to Dirty Dicks or whatever and see who the biggest stud is? We'll turn him into a wrestler. What's the what's the lore behind that? Well, the true story, the and truth? it's in here. Um, it was crazy when we made the decision, you know, that we had to have another Von Eric uh, with David's death. Mike wasn't ready. Um, <laughs> I'm playing golf out at Ditto Golf Course. And uh, we we finish the first nine and we go in and get something to drink. And uh, here's this, Jesus, sculpture of a guy. And it was crazy because I know he saw me looking at him. And then we're playing and I see him over on a par three and I kind of ease over and I'm watching him and I'm looking at his movements. And I see him see me again looking at him. So I'm starting to think he thinks I'm there to hit on him. <laughs> and so, <It> happened. <laughs> so when we finished the round you know i go up and i said uh, my name is david manning i said i'm i'm with world-class championship wrestling i said uh what do you do you're a bodybuilder why are you he said no he said i'm a bodybuilder and he said you know i, I own some i got some national records and stuff like that and i said well you ever thought about wrestling and he said uh no not really and i said uh can I get you to come down to the sportatorium, talk to Fritz von Eric? And uh, I said, I'm not going to go into what we have right now, but you fit the mold. And he said, uh, he said, sure. And I said, I think you make, you know, you can make good money. I don't know what you're doing right now. He was selling real estate. And so I, I'll never forget when I hung up, when I left, I, I immediately stopped and called Fritz. And when he answered, I said, I found him. Wow. <laughs> And so we had him come in and uh, Fritz talked to him and we made the decision. The problem is we were in such a hurry and he was raw, 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 raw. Yeah. And uh, he was having a hard time picking it up. So we literally sent him up to Portland to work for Don Owens. And um, so they didn't have TV that got outside of their local area. And we sent him up there and they, they kind of primed him. We brought him back a little early, but we were pushed for time. Mm. And, um, you know, in the book, you know, he ta he takes a lot of stuff with the way they exposed him and stuff like that. But, hey, basically, he took a job and he did what he was supposed to do. And it turned in with Kerry's injury a lot more work than anyone planned on. How did they break that? Like, how did Fritz break that to the boys? I guess it's not just like, hey, this is what you what do you think? It's more like this is what we're doing. You're going to you're going to go with it. Or how did that go about? You know, when we had the bookie meeting, I have to say Kev was against it. He didn't want us to do it. He didn't like it. He felt like we were lying to the fans. Yeah. Uh, but also he wasn't in every bookie meeting when I'm trying to fill holes, you know? <laughs> uh, and so um, we'd already had the plan for the three free birds. So we needed three Von Erics. Right. And um, as far as the boys, um, I'm sure there was some animosity out there because Man, you're going, you're talking, you know, normally you got to go, you got to go through all of the bumps and bruises and this. Here's a guy that walks right into the main event and crashes the ring at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and then he's off to the races. Every match he's in is a main event, you right. know. So um, I'm sure yeah. there was some stuff out there, but uh, he was good. And then at a certain point, you know, when Kerry got the, the leg injury, we literally had, we would put Kev on. At a spot show on Saturday night, Kev would wrestle like first here. Lance would wrestle like first here. And then they would crisscross 
wherever those towns were at, and they would be in the main events at each town. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, trying to plug holes. Yeah. I remember one time years ago, this is probably 2013, I did a double shot in Pittsburgh and then Cleveland. Uh, and I messaged, I think I, I tweeted out to Kevin that, you know, this, this today's the closest I've felt to even a semblance of what you might've done on a regular basis. And he, he, I think he responded with like a, a laugh or a chuckle and, you know, something like that. But it was just a really cool thing, you know, because a lot of people don't consider the fact that, you know, you were sometimes mul working multiple times. Oh yeah. And, and flying also sometimes to make these dates. I think that's kind of how, if I'm not mistaken, Ric Flair ended up with the plane crash that broke his back. Um, you know, yeah. so M Hart, Gary Hart, same thing. Yeah. Right? Gary Hart. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Nope. So, you know, a lot of people don't take into consideration. And also, you know, um, I don't now I think, you know, from what I noticed when I was with with WWE, um, the referees, you know, they're all part of the ring crew and all that stuff. The rings back then, a lot of people don't don't realize that the, the rings back then were not what we have today. Today would be considered more of a state of the art thing, whereas the rings back then, I mean, these were I'm not going to call them death traps, but. They were not what we have today. Well, that and, um, you know, it was crazy. We used to, you know, every, we'd have guys come to the sportatorium. I want to wrestle. I want to wrestle. I want to wrestle. And if we saw somebody we like, it was, it was crazy because we'd, we'd have them sign a waiver and then we'd take them down to the ring. And I would always be the first one in the ring with them. And, <laughs> you know, but no one knew I wrestled, you know, pretty much all the way up to trying out for the Olympic trials. And so... Brock would come down there and go, how are you going to be a wrestler? You can't beat the damn referee. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, when you put them in the ring, I would make them hit the ropes. I'd say, no. And I'd show them how to hit the ropes. I'd say, I want you to hit the rope back, back, back. You know, after about five times, they're like, oh, this is bullshit, you know? Right. <laughs> so right. people don't understand the ropes were a steel cable with a piece of tape around them. Seriously. Yeah. And the same thing with the ring. We had to build a ring in Israel. When we got there, when the first show we did over there, and they literally wow. built it solid like a like a boxing ring. Oh yeah, no, no, even worse. It, it was really they just put uh, uh, two by twelves down, and then uh, put a piece of plywood on top of that, and then just put a thing across it and thought that would work. Oh and my god! The boys were oh my god, were they bitching? Oh my gosh, I bet, I bet. Just don't bump. That's oh. Uh... A rug, anything, a carpet, <laughs> right? please. As we start to wrap up, because we don't, we want to be mindful of your time, and 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 again, Absolutely. and again, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we do have sure. a couple questions from friends, fans of the show. Um, Chris Kavinsky, he's a friend of yours, yes, Paul, right? Yes. Uh, he asked quickly if you if you had a funny Terry Gordy story you could share. Yeah. So so we're coming back from uh, two. I got. I give you two quick ones. We're coming one, we're coming back from San Antonio. Uh, it's me, Sunshine, and Garvin in the front seat, back seats, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Bill Irwin. We're coming down Interstate 35, coming back from San Antonio. Irwin and Gordy get in an argument about who's who can run fastest. So the next thing I know, Michael's like, pull over, pull over. So I literally <laughs> pull over on the on the shoulder of 35. Bill Irwin and Gordy get out, take their boots off. We mark off 50 yards, and Michael's at the starting line. I'm at the finish line, and we're like, go, and they're running down the side of the shoulder of the road. Oh, my God, I-35. 
on I-35. You know, and there's been a little alcohol flowing. Of course. Yeah. though, When I get to the ring on Monday night, when I get to the matches, neither one of them can walk. Blisters on their feet. (laughs) They tore their feet up on the pavement. The other one is Terry Gordy, Michael, and and Buddy had wrestled in uh, Lawton, where I promoted. Coming back, you know, it's late. Coming out 287. There's no cars. I can tell it's the birds in front of me. And so as they went over a hill, as I come to the top of the hill, I see them pulled over on the shoulder. So I turn my lights off <laughs> and I know what they're doing. They're taking a piss. Right. So, I, so I go down with my lights off. I take my nine millimeter out and I stick it out the window like this, you <laughs> oh, know, no. as I go by, oh, I so- go boom, boom, boom. <laughs> they all dive into the weeds. <laughs> they dive into the weeds. And I didn't think about the aftermath because they, I see them running for their car. Oh no. So oh, now wow. I speed up. And I I, uh, I went over a hill and went down, and here's this little store that's closed. So I pulled in beside it and turned my lights off. And then I see they go by. So Monday night comes. Uh, we get to the building, and Michael comes up, and he's like, real, real funny. Oh, no. <laughs> Fall asleep anywhere we're at. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. I love it. Did he ever get you back? No, thank God, yeah, thank God, because I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> I knew better than to fall asleep when those guys were on. That poor Buddy Roberts. Oh, uh, man. You got the brunt of it. <laughs> that's fantastic. My uh, my mom, my mom, Carol McKee, she has a question for you. If you could okay. uh, if, if you could play any ring song, any song to bring you to the ring, what would it be? Oh, God. Got to be careful here. I'll, I'll sound like I... Uh... We can do at the time and we can do now. <laughs> I, I would have, you know, we were all good friends with Stallone. So I would probably have to go with one of the Rocky themes. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I, awesome. I think that's pretty, awesome. that's a slam dunk Can't right there. Wrong. Yep. <laughs> what you gave us today was gold and it would be an honor to have you back on. It really would. So I would absolutely love thank it. You, David. Your time. Thank you so much. David. We'll follow up after the Monarch movie's out. Sounds yeah. perfect. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much, sir. Such a pleasure. Take care. Talk to you soon. Happy holidays. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Territory Marks. If you like what you hear, then consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're at it, head on over to our Patreon, too. The link is in our show notes. And if you want more 80s nostalgia, go check out my tag partner, Zach, and our Terry Bam Bam of Ballyhoo, Dustin, over at $2LateFee.com, where the faces always win, even in the territories. Listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 